Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. But today's a little bit different. It's different for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, we are on location um, actually in Florida, in the USA, and we being me and Damien Fogg, who's sat right across from me right now. Hi, Damien. How are you? I'm very well. Hello, everybody listening. Absolutely. Thanks a lot for joining us. So we're going to give you a bit of a, an update as we're on location of why we're here and uh, you know some of you know some of the headlines, I guess, of what we're looking at and why, why it's potentially interesting. So uh, we'll just queue up in a second and we'll get on with the show. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. Well, Damien, hi, how are you doing? I'm all right, how are you? Yeah, very good. Um, we're trying to control ourselves here a little bit, aren't we? We've got a little bit overexcited with the prospect of a live recording on location. I've just drunk a lot of Mountain Dew, so I'm off my head on caffeine right now. Oh dear, it could get messy. <laughs> it could get messy, but uh, no alcohol involved, I hasten to add. Not at this hour of the day, no. Hour, we've done that already, yeah. So, Anyway, why, why are we here? Why, where are we, first of all? Well, we're in Orlando, Florida. Orlando, yeah. And why are we here? Why are we here? It's my question. Oh, okay, sorry. So I'll ask. I'll answer the question. So we're here. Uh, well, for two reasons. One, we thought it'd be a good idea to meet. We do this, don't we? We meet up in random locations. I think we're in Toronto about six months ago, and now we find ourselves in or in Orlando this time. We, we meet up quite regularly in different places. But um, I think the specific reason we're here in Orlando is that um, I initially was interested in coming over and. Uh, doing a bit of an inspection on some properties I have here and also making some new relationships with developers. And I think it's fair to say that, you know, you've probably got quite interested in the topic um, in the build-up to it and whilst we've been here. Yeah, one of the um, things that we do sort of as businesses, but also as accountability partners, is we talk about this PDAP thing and what we want to develop as individually. And one of the things that's been on my list is investing in the US. Mm -hmm. And, And obviously, I know you've been doing it, so kind of made sense to come over while you were here, mm-hmm. steal some of your knowledge while I was here, get all the contacts and just have a look, see if it's something that's going to intrigue me. So that's, yeah. from my point of view, that's why I've come over. Yeah. So that was why you got here. Mm-hmm. And then when you got here, um, I guess, you know, we've we've had a chat over the last few days and swapped notes. I've been on a bit of a road trip. Um, yeah. It's well. hard to keep hold of you. <laughs> yeah. You've been twiddling your thumbs. I've been in, uh, I think, Three cities and met four. Uh, I think I've met about eight developers and several agents and financiers and this sort of thing. And you've been keeping the you know the, the fort. I went to Disney World. <laughs> yeah, you went to Disney World. So uh, we come back, swap notes, and I think you know we we have this sort of um, creativity that we between us. We bounce off one another, and I think what we've taken is a few of their ideas and, and maybe shaped into something. But I guess before we get into all that, what what you know. Let's just start the ball rolling, really. What, why USA? Why is it interesting, do you think, at this point in time? So for me, um, it's a yield play. So the rental yield in America, for some reason, seems to be generally a lot higher than the UK. So that's certainly initially was what attracted me to being over in the America. Coming over, it's a fairly uh, mature market, so I'm not too worried about 
um, sort of location risk, things like that. So that was initially what interested me in it and why I wanted to come over. Yeah. So just to clarify, I mean, I guess you, you can have, um, you know, if you look at you know, New York, for example, or San Francisco, and these sort of major cities with a, a lot of demand, the yield's probably not going to be that high there in certainly downtown areas, right? Yeah, that's the London equivalent, I guess, yeah. in the UK. So yeah. in every market, there are high yield areas, low yield areas. But I think generally speaking, across the board, the yield is just generally a bit higher in the in the US versus the UK. Yeah. So that was as I'm a bit of a cash flow investor, mm-hmm. that's what appealed to me. Yeah. Well same really. And I think, you know, we're looking at double digit yields in gross yields in, in quite a lot of locations. I mean I say I've been to or, or uh, certainly engage with people in Chicago, in um, in Kansas City and in Cleveland, uh, as well as down here in Florida. And, and it's a bit of a mix if if you like, but we're talking about, you know, double digit yields here. That seems quite easily achievable over here, whereas back home, um, you've got to try quite hard to actually hit double-digit gross yield, certainly. And and this is what we're talking about here is single-family homes. Yep. So this isn't doing all of the HMO stuff, serviced yeah. accommodation that carries a whole bunch of other risks and yeah. management excesses. Yeah. This is just your bog-standard rent it to someone as a family. Exactly. And, you know, we're, we happen to be in, uh, in Orlando, as we, we've explained, but even in Orlando, you can rent to families on a long-term rental basis rather than do the holiday let idea uh, and, and still get reasonable returns. So yield is a big, you know, double-digit yield, high cash flow. That's certainly one of the attractions. And I think I pick up what you said earlier about, because it's certainly something that resonated with me. I, you know, I think it's Warren Buffett who says, only invest in something that you understand, uh, understand well. So um, obviously we're we're from the UK. We understand the UK well, but the advantages of the US market clearly, as you've already said, it's a mature market. You know, it's got a good established legal system. Common language is also also handy. Common-ish language. <laughs> yeah, we're finding that out as we're uh, <laughs> as we go around and order food and things like that. Well, just calling everything real estate instead of property is slightly annoying me, but. <laughs> Yeah, I find like I'm, I've got my sort of American phrase book uh, translating. Yeah, I've had around. to beat you up a few times about stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> just trying to integrate, trying to integrate. So yeah, the um, the yield play or the cash flow play, the the sort of known quantity. I mean, that's nothing. Just talk about known quantity. It's one of the things that we've noticed, of course, is that obviously in the UK there's a lot of data that's available for mm. housing uh, rentals and something. But in the US, it's it's on another level. You know, there's um, there's the equivalent of right move with Zillow and things like that. Um, you can you can check if someone's being paying their property taxes online. You can see you can just do a lookup of the top you know, yielding locations in the country, and there's several people who are reporting that data. There's there's a lot of background information that you can find, even more so probably in the US than you can in the UK. Yeah, it's very Big Brother, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's a Big Brother. I, don't, I didn't talk about this uh, earlier, but. I was doing some research on one or two individuals. Stalking? Uh, yeah. Due diligence, we call it. Yeah, due, due diligence stalking on one or two individuals. And you can actually buy uh, like a, a search report, an individual search report on people here. Um, well, yeah, because we did due diligence on someone that we were contemplating work with from a finance point of view. Mm-hmm. And I managed to find like a criminal record for them, court appearances and mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff. Yeah. It was a little bit creepy. It is a bit creepy, but... Actually, right up your street, really. You well, <laughs> I like to do thorough due diligence. Yeah, uh, but here, you could basically buy a report that shows you all that. There's social media. Can anyway, we digress. <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make is, uh, you can. There's a lot of resources available to do due diligence, background checks on the property, on the people you're dealing with, and that kind of thing. So that you, even though you're a long way away, you know, potentially investing from the UK or another marketplace, 
investing into the US market, there's a lot of stuff you can do remotely and rely uh, on some regional data. Yes, but having said that, you, you've been investing here for a while now. How, how long have you been investing? A few years? Uh, or? Just over a year. Yeah, just over a year. Okay. Yeah. I've been thinking about investing in the US market for probably five years. Mm. And a combination of things like not having the contacts, not having met them in person. I'm quite, well, as you know, I'm quite risk averse and I like security when I'm buying things. Mm. I do like my due diligence. So I really want to go into like the nth degree level of it. So that's what's kind of put me off that far away, not understanding the legal system. I know it has one, it's very secure and safe and all that stuff, but I don't know the ins and outs of it. So I didn't have the exact structure and how to put it in place. I didn't have that knowledge. Mm. And it was quite, well, it probably wasn't that difficult to find out. I just didn't have sufficient motivation to actually go and do it. And so that's what stopped me from investing here for ages. Mm. Now that we've, started, well, we've got the time to start putting the effort in and looking into it, you know, you could, well, as we found out on this trip and a few other reccees that we've done, you can pull that team together and get everything in place. Relatively straightforward, but it does take quite a lot of on-the-ground research like this and speaking to the right people and going through, you know, kissing a lot of frogs to find a decent person you want to work with. That's been my issue that slowed me down investing in the US market. Yeah, and I think, you know, there is no substitute for coming over. Well, there is a substitute for coming over. Sending you. <laughs> Send me, but, you know, I think it's... it's um, when you do come over, it makes a big difference. Unless you've got a fully packaged up, or you know you've got very trustworthy people you're dealing with on the ground, you know. So I think that makes a big difference. You you know you even need to come and do all those due diligence, you know, meet the people, do all those background checks, maybe look at some of their their properties and that sort of thing. Alternatively, you need some sort of trustworthy intermediary or agent or whatever you want to call it, you know, someone who who can actually take care of a lot of that stuff for you. But I mean, just just to clarify, I mean, some silly things like um, the, the, the terminology we already talked about. So, a completion on a, on a property sale is called closing here, right? So, uh, get used to the different languages. So, completion equals closing. When this is something that threw me, when you're actually buying a property in, in the US, both the buyer and the seller use the same solicitor, lawyer, and you know, they're for both sides. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of unusual, isn't it? Yeah. There's sort of no Conflict of interest or anything like that. Well, how, yeah, it's, it's, it's common. That's the way, that's yeah. the system. And the lawyer is effectively responsible to both sides. So that was a bit freaky. But what you can do, if you really want to, is you can appoint, uh, appoint rather, your own title search company or something like that. So it's adding an extra layer of complexity mm. into the transaction, but you can have that degree of independence and that peace of mind if you want it. So I learned that. <laughs> Very good. Um, also, you, t- you asked about how long I've been, in, I've been investing, and um, I've learned some stuff along the way as a result of you know investing. In- what have you learned, Richard? Sounds <laughs> <laughs> like a few questions. It, it does a little bit, but because I've had to listen to it for the past three, four days. Yeah. So, um, you, the situation I had is essentially that you know someone didn't do what they said they were going to do, and uh, it left me, I, I, the, the, it left me in a situation where I had some exposure and I've had to put right. So just to clarify, though, this was on a lease purchase or an instalment um, purchase type of contract rather than a straightforward purchase. So the bottom line is I was buying the property over a 15-year period. I am buying the property over a 15-year period. And that essentially means I don't get legal title on day one. Mm. Um, so I didn't, do all the, the, I didn't get all the title searches in place on day one. And one of the things that transpired 
it seems, is that the uh, the person who still legally owns it is responsible for paying property taxes. So in the US, property taxes, they don't have stamp duty, but they do have property taxes. And the system works a little bit like council tax in the UK. So, but these property taxes, they're annual bills, annual assessments, and they need to be paid. And they haven't been paying them. So, um, and presumably that means they can repossess the house off the actual owner, even though you're paying for it, and in theory it's becoming yours. Yeah, well, that, that's the risk. You know? mm. I mean, the way it works here is you don't actually, even though you've got a, a property tax bill, you, they give you time to pay it. It's and, nice. Yeah, they give you quite a lot of time to pay it, but they keep putting the bill up if you do. So it's like a kind of a credit type of arrangement. So you go, you know, if you pay it when it's due, which is usually March each year, um, if you pay it in April, it's a little bit more, if you pay it in May, it's a little bit more again. So they, they kind of say, well, we'll let you go for a while, and they'll, you just have to pay more money, which seems obviously a false economy if you don't pay it, but there you go. But after a period of time, they get heavy, and they can actually put a claim on the property and essentially seize it and sell it. Now, as I'm in this situation, I'm not the legal property owner. Um, you know, I'm, I'm exposed to that. So I need to make sure the owner's paying the property taxes. However, if you're buying a property, then of course you become responsible for paying those uh, property taxes yourself. So you need a system to and just pay basically, and 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 you can check that property taxes are up to date when you buy. That's that's visible information. And will the solicitor tell you all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, well, yes, you, the solicitor would tell you all that stuff. You need to make sure that you get the right um, package when you go and get the information that they report as any absent. They call them lien, liens here, mm-hmm. uh, or that's equivalent of a charge, or any outstanding property taxes. The solicitor should tell you that. And if, um, a bit like in the UK, what you know, you'd make sure that is cleared at the point of closing or completion. So. Um, I'm looking at another transaction now and someone paid property ta- taxes. So I've, you know, it's been identified to me. You can look at it yourself, but equally the solicitor can tell you. So um, it's been identified to me and I basically said, well, I'll, I'll close or complete on the property providing the property taxes are brought up to date. So it's effectively like buying a place that has a mortgage on it. You give all of the money over to the solicitors and they say, well, we'll clear all the charges on it. They'll get rid of all the liens, in this case, the tax on it before we transfer the money over to the seller. Yeah, so you can do it. you can do it that way. I mean, obviously, with property taxes, well, not obviously, but when you you can pay property taxes online, mm. and it's showing it's shown as paid immediately. But cool. I guess if that seller needed my money to clear those taxes, you do what you say and channel it through the solicitor, and they'll be like, that. I'd pay money to the solicitor. The solicitor would distribute it, including clearing any liens and clearing any um, unpaid taxes, and then they would pay the balance through to the seller. No. So yeah, it, you know, but it's understanding this, um, working way through it, and you know, managing through the the differences and, and the risks that arise. But if you um, you know live with that, let's just go back to why, why do it? And I think um, just let's just tell me a little bit about your model up in the northwest, and you know how how you sort of how you've been working your property portfolio largely. I know you've diversified from from that largely, but how do yeah. you start your starter home thing? Just talk us through. Yeah, that. so. In the nutshell version um, is I effectively buy relatively cheap properties, rent them out and overpay the mortgage each month. I don't take any cash flow from them. So I, my goal is to pay down the mortgage debt and I'll usually anywhere from sort of 60% to 75% loan to value. Mm. I'll try and pay that mortgage off completely, ideally in 10 years, but it's coming out around 12 years 
on average for most of them. So I'll take basically no income for 12 years, and but at the end of it, I've got an unencumbered asset that will give me 100% of the rent, obviously less some costs, but it's then a high cash flowing property. So that's kind of the model I've used up north. And so I've got probably 20 properties or so on that sort of model going through. So it looks great on paper in that I've got, yeah, all these properties, zero cash flow from them, which slightly sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that's the downside. Mm -hmm. But because I don't need the money right now, um, I'm still only a whippersnapper. So I'm only mid thirties. I don't really need the cash flow. I'm doing other bits and bobs. I'm quite happy to defer that income. Sort of, it's it's the whole. Well, I don't even know what the saying is, but I'm. I don't. What am I trying to say? The bird in the hand thing. Um, But the opposite. So I'm basically I'm willing to defer any income. Delay gratification. That's the one. Yeah. So I'm willing to delay the income now for a much higher income. In this case, in ten to twelve years, something like that. Yeah, because you had an income stream from various sources to live on day by day. Yeah, and you were building the doll. Um. <laughs> the doll. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you're you're and you're building a wealth fund for you know. From so I'm building family wealth assets. Yeah. Yeah. you could look at it. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, for you, that that be realised in in your forties, sort of. Well, you started it sooner than you. So yeah, so I've started. I mean, some of them. I've got a couple that are now unencumbered. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the majority of them have probably got, it'll be in my 40s. Mm-hmm. But at that point, it's one of those weird scenarios where I'll just keep on getting richer as I get older, which is kind of the opposite of most people. They come to retirement age and take a massive pay cut. By following my sort of strategy, you keep on just getting richer and richer and richer. Mm-hmm. And at some point, I'm sure I'll create some mini-me's. So I'll be in a position to just say, God well, help yeah, I know, right. Um, God help the woman. But um, at some point, I'll be able to say, well, there you go, kids, have a, a house or two each mm. that'll sort them out it'll help them get on the property ladder I mean assuming we still live in properties in 40 years time or something might be in pods or something by then but but let's just pause on that because the reason I asked you about it is you know the discussions that we've been having in the last couple of days mm-hmm. how does that model that you you know so you've got a, you know you're overpaying on the mortgage and you, you've got it free and clear around right about 12 years, yep. not taking any income along the way. How did you get excited the other day when we were doing some number crunching about some of the properties we're looking at here in the USA? Well, as we touched on the very start, because the yields are that much higher in the US, it's exactly the same model, mm. but you can do it in around five years. Mm. So five to seven, depending on sort of yeah. the area you invest in, yeah. but it's exactly the same thing. You buy into it with a mortgage in place or charge, whatever you want to call it, um, overpay so you don't take any income. And when I say you don't take any income, obviously you, the rent covers all of the other costs and charges involved. So the management of it, because clearly it's in America, um, and other bits and bobs, it accounts for void, stuff like that. You, you work it out so you keep on overpaying so you make no money each month. Mm. But you can pay that debt down in five years and then you've got very high yielding assets with no debt on them. Mm-hmm. So... realistically, you're probably going to be looking at 75 to 80% of the gross income from the property will become your net income. Okay, before tax. tax, Mm -hmm. And obviously in dollars as well, so there's that. But you never know, might end up in America at some point. Um, But but that model is you've suddenly gone from, you know, most properties you'll have a small percentage will be your net income from it. So the the rent might be, I know, a thousand pounds and actually you only pick up 250 quid. Mm. 
by doing it this way. It's the other way around. The rent's a thousand pounds. You might end up picking up eight hundred, seven hundred and fifty quid a month. And if you've only got to wait five years for that, yeah, well, it's pretty good going. Most people, that, you know, don't like the idea of waiting. Twelve years might sound like a long way. Well, twenty-five year mortgage, obviously, would be we starting point. Well, you half the term to twelve with your. Is that what you're going to say? Uh, no, I was going to take a mint, but I remembered you were going to shout at me yeah. for eating while we talk. Yeah. No, what what I was thinking was most people in buy to let don't even have capital repayment mortgages. Mm-hmm. So they're thinking 25 years, and then you've still got to clear a massive mortgage. Yeah. And who knows what will be happening in 25 years. Yeah. If you happen to reach a point where properties have just dropped in value, mm-hmm. and you can't refinance because of your age or the mortgage market, who knows? You're slightly scuppered. Whereas at least, yeah, if you put it on a capital repayment mortgage in the UK at 25 years, most of them still don't make a profit at that level. It's only because the ones I buy are quite high yielding, mm-hmm. relative in the UK, that I can afford to overpay by that much mm. in the US it's my strategy on steroids well it is isn't it so you look at everything in America is bigger <laughs> yeah indeed we noticed so five years yep um, if you choose to do the overpayment model mm-hmm. um, you could get free and clear in five years and then keep a, a double digit uh, income return you know and subject to servicing costs like uh, letting fees obviously that works in a similar way to the UK you probably end up retaining around about 75% or so of that gross income because you have no debt on it. Yep. And uh, obviously that'd be subject to tax, it'd be in dollars, but you've got income in sterling and income in dollars. Bit of diversification there? Diversification, bit of hedging on currency, if you want to look at that. So that all makes good sense. So I guess there's a couple of things that just came out I wanted to, you know, so first of all, one for you, because you're a chartered building surveyor. Yes, I am. You are, and (laughs) you like that a lot. (laughs) I calm down. But the reason I brought that up is that houses can be different here, right? They can. They can be constructed differently. So what do you need to look out for? Ideally, someone who knows how they're constructed. So I don't know all the terminology, but the effective, a chartered building sphere over here, I think is called uh, an assessor. Is that right? You can tell me. Um, But yeah, they basically do the same thing. They'll go around, if you're buying a property. Assess the value. They'll assess the value of it and then... um, What's the name of the other one? An inspector, is it? An inspector, yeah. Yeah. So you've got exactly the same as the UK. You've got a valuation surveyor and a building surveyor. So you can just get somebody else to go around it and say, well, this is what it's worth, and this is what it's made of. These are the issues that you're going to have with it. The big difference, mostly in America, is they're all timber frame buildings as opposed to brick that we use. We've been building in timber frame for years as well, though, so it's not completely uncommon. Um, It's just more prevalent over here. So there are some differences. They have a lot of basements in America. We mm. tend not to have that many of them um, because the weather's different. So even the difference between um, sort of the north of America versus Orlando, there's a massive difference in construction because in Orlando, they don't really have to worry too much about too much water because, it. well, as we found being here, it's like 30-odd degrees every day, and that's fairly consistent. So there's things like that that make it just a little bit different that – yeah, okay, because I'm a building geek, I understand the principles of it, but I wouldn't like to say I'm an expert and I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say I'm going to do inspections on my own properties in America and give them the sign-off. But I know the people that you would get in place to do it for you. And because I can, I know what I'm talking about, what they say will make sense to me so I can then double-check what they're saying. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, one of the things I found when I've been looking at them is that you could get this uh, appraisal, mm-hmm. which, which is done by an assessor, so that, that should tell you the, the valuation, if you like, a bit like you were saying with the valuation report in the UK. But to be honest, you can do that by looking at you know online data. All of that anyway. data. So you should be able to 
fairly accurately benchmark the valuation of property, whether you use an investment method or whether you use sort of a bricks and mortar method based on local comparables. So that for me is not that important. I think what's more important is the inspection. Yeah. So the inspection, you know, they go in and they do an assessment of, you know, the condition of the property, uh, whether there's any anything that needs replacing, maybe the, the lifespan. So it's like a home buyer report type of type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you want to add to that? Well, the only thing I was going to add to it is one of the um, sort of avenues that we've looked at is quite similar to a HMO license in the UK in as much as for certain types of tenancies, um, it's known as Section 8 over here, where it's, I guess it's the equivalent of a housing benefit tenant, but a bit like a licensed property, there are very strict standards mm. that the property's got to meet in order to get a license for a Section 8 tenant. Mm. So it works the same way as a licensed property in the UK, but they're very strict with them and the standards are actually quite high, mm-hmm. higher than normal tenancy properties generally we found. Yeah. So if you've got a property that meets a certain standard like that, you can be pretty confident that the property itself is quite structurally sound. Yeah. And yeah, you're still going to have the whole decorating thing between tenants and all that stuff. That's yeah. par for the course really. Yeah. But the fundamentals of the building are mm-hmm. probably going to be quite sound with that type of tenancy. Yeah. So, I mean, it kind of gives you an extra bit of insurance in a way. I mean, that's yes. where you can make, because I mean, the yields are higher on Section 8 yeah. properties, so the equivalent of benefit tenants. You don't have to do this, of course, but but be, um, because the yields are high, the, the, standard, the standards are high as well. So, you know, they want, you know, I call it the big five. So, um, you tell me if I'm missing, there's like a big six, like a big <laughs> five, but I think it's like yeah, structurally sound, um, the roof's okay. Uh, then you are heating HVAC, as they call it here, heating, mm. ventilation, air conditioning, um, plumbing, and, uh, and and sort of the water work side of things. And where's the missing one now? Oh, the electrics. Yeah. So they're the big five, if you like. So if you're buying property, just make sure that those things are in good working order. Is really what what you're looking for in an inspection, because an inspector will find problems. They, they it's kind of their job. Yeah. You know, to find problems in a property. But you know, if there's a cracked window pane, that's not really a big problem. You know, just to replace a piece of glass. Mm. But you know, if the HVAC, you know, the furnace, as they call it here, needs replacing, that can be, a, or the roof actually, roof replacements can be, you know, seven thousands or up to ten thousands of dollars. So you want to make sure that's that's in place. And so it's not that expensive to to get an inspection put in place. No, you're smiling. Why are you smiling? <laughs> I'm just smiling because the big five sounds quite cool. It's actually two. Oh, okay. It's BCE and M and E. Okay. So it's building and civil engineering, which is anything structural, anything that you can hit with a hammer, uh-huh. and then M&E, which is just all of the services. Oh, they but you've broken two. it down into five. It sounds much better as a big yeah. five. Well, big five, because you know, I'm, I'm actually a passionate you know, game follower. And game, bear with me. Okay. And in the game reserves in, in, Af- in the African plains, it's the big five. Game, okay. I was, game. Think, I was thinking like you were talking football yeah. or something. No, big, big wildlife, safari kind of wildlife. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, we're digressing, we do this. So anyway, I just wanted to bring that up. I think the other thing I just wanted to kind of just open up, what's going on in the UK market? I might even ask you about the, the election in a second. <laughs> yeah. But what's going on recently in the UK, particularly buy-to-let market? There's two big changes. There's another big two, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's the uh, stamp duty change. Yeah. And then there's the section, uh, the mortgage interest relief, section 24, yeah. uh, the finance bill. Those two big changes have made quite an impact for buy-to-let investors in the UK. And what about here? Well, just to describe, I'm in the USA. Yeah. Um, well, as you've already mentioned, there is no stamp duty over in America, so straight away you've lost that, and you also you can um, offset your 
mortgage costs. Yeah. So it's how the UK was, well, I don't even know when stamp duty came in, but certainly from an interest point of view, how it was previously, and you're saving money on stamp duty. So it's the UK market, it does still work, but it's a lot harder nowadays to make things stack up. Certainly for your bog standard vanilla buy to let, it's got a lot more difficult. Mm-hmm. And even at the front end buying, it's done what it was supposed to do. It's made it more attractive for owner occupiers rather than investors. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of achieved the goal, or it's just increased tax revenue for them. Um, but in America, well, they are generally more favorable to business people and that sort of thing. So they, they just don't tax it as much over here. Yeah. So it's interesting from that point of view as well. So I guess what, what's the sort of summary to kind of draw a conclusion about this sort of discussion? Higher yields potentially? Higher yields. I'm personally, I'm going to forego income in the short term to get build up assets in the, well, again, kind of short term, but let's call it medium term, five years. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, at that point, you've got the choice of either going again or Mm. doing something. So personally, that's sort of what I'm going to be doing. The next stage for me, though, is obviously to make sure, put systems in place that are very repeatable. Mm -hmm. um, And that takes quite a bit of legwork and on the ground time. Yeah. So that's that's sort of the next step for us to just pull this together into something that can be done quite easily from our point of view, from a distance and remotely. Exactly. Yeah, and for me, similar really, but I think, you know, I, I'm looking at diversification. You know, I've got interest in different countries now, uh, different types of strategies. So it's just another another addition there, which gives a bit of diversity, um, hedging in a different marketplace. Yes, there's currency issues. For me, it kind of just makes sense to have you know this sort of thing in my portfolio. So, a lot of interest there from 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 our point of view, and a lot of positives, like we talked about with the different tax treatment and that kind of thing. So, hopefully, that's been interesting for people to pick up on that. But um, I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add in terms of the USA discussion part of it, Damien. But uh, nah, no, I don't think so. But all right, then I will ask you because we had um, you know we had a couple of wines the night and. Uh, we, we did just very quickly, the election's coming. I'm not going to do a big deal on it because I don't think there's an awful lot to say. But, you know, what do you think? Yeah, you're right. It is coming. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, what do you want me to say? I don't know. What is that thing? I just think, you know, basically, I don't know. Let me lead you. I think I was going to say, I feel, I feel like two, I'm being led to some yeah, water here. two realistic prospects, isn't there? I think, probably. Yeah, Labour. Green Party and Labour. Oh, sorry, go on. <laughs> yeah. The, a conservative victory or a, a Labour victory is yep. probably what we're talking about. So from a from a landlord's point of view, you know, the, is, is there a preference? Is you know, is there any you know real difference? I mean, from our point of view as landlords and investors, it's got to be the Conservatives. It's the best best of a bad bunch is probably a bit harsh, but they've not done us any favours recently. So you could say they're actually yeah they've been detrimental to investors and landlords. But I think potentially labour would be worse for landlords and investors. There's no point us touching all of the other issues, NHS, uh, immigration, all that sort of stuff. That's a very personal preference of what you think should be done. But purely looking at it from a property and a housing point of view, for investors, I think it's, it's got to be conservatives are still slightly less bad than labour. Yeah, and I think so therefore, uh, so my reading of that is, you know, if you have a preference either way, it probably doesn't make a lot of difference. You know, because, um, yeah, so for example, if you had a, better, a different view on healthcare and in that sort of thing, because that's who you are, yeah, you, you might find that there's some, some policies that, say, a Labour government might bring in, which which will be a little bit worse than the Conservatives have. I mean, the Conservatives already hit us quite hard, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so the damage is done. So, and they're not going to reverse it. So I don't think anyone's proposing to reverse it. So I think with Labour, it seems to be more tenant friendly. 
and with Conservatives, seems to be more landlord-friendly, I think, seems to be. Yeah, I mean, relatively speaking. Ultimately, though, nothing changes. If, so let's say, worst case, Labour came in and decided to get rid of all private landlords. They just can't do it. No. The government hasn't got the stock to replace the four million-odd private landlords out there. Lots of them, lots of lots of landlords just have a single property, so it's just impossible for the government anytime soon to completely get rid of us. If they do something that's so bad that everyone has to pull out of it, they're going to end up completely stuffed. So, yes, they, they will make things more uncomfortable for us. They'll end up taxing us. Anyone, it's just people like taxing people, um, and landlords are a very easy target to dislike. The reality, though, is there's always going to be a need for buy-to-let investors who can hold property and rent them out to other people. Yeah, That's the reality. Numbers will change. It will become more difficult. Then it'll become easier. Prices will go up. Prices will go down. That's the nature of investing. It's the nature of the world. It's, all, it's just a case if you need to keep up to date with things, keep an eye on your numbers and make sure your strategy, diversify your risk, and obviously in my case at the moment, start looking abroad um, to just make things work for you. Well, yeah, and I think, you know, to be honest, I think we're probably all a little bit, you know, politics, you know, out, you know, it's been, there's been so much, hasn't there, you know, on a world step scale, let alone the UK, you know, um, just you know, lost a little bit of interest in it, frankly. Um, I never had any interest in it, to be honest. I'm going to run for president or what have we, what have we got, prime minister at some point. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be a flood of people voting for you. They better. Yeah. I'm going to call myself emperor, though. <laughs> Now I'm digressing a little bit too far. <laughs> so just to draw a line before, you know, the caffeine really does sort of kick in. I think, you know, the conclusion probably as a result of all this is that there are sometimes some better prospects elsewhere. So if you yep. feel that, you know, you're under attack or, you know, your, your profits are being diminished in some way with the UK market, then, you know, just from this discussion alone, you can probably see that there are potentially other, other opportunities out there which are more attractive. And the USA being one. I agree. Indeed. All right. Well, Damon, thanks a lot for coming on the show today and sharing your wisdom as always. No worries. And uh, it's great to have you on and uh, enjoy the rest of your time here. Cheers. All right. Take care. Bye for now. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.